0: In a weird way, it would have been easier to be laid off by somebody that I trust.
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, everybody. My name is Martin McGovern, and we are back with another episode in our series of Life After Layout. Today, we are joined by Bridget Putker, who describes herself as a human marketing to humans at big time, big time marketer. All right. I love it. Bridget, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's Friday. Yeah, it's a
1: Friday. (laughs) Closing out the week on a high note. Um, I would love to start this off by asking you the most infamous uh, interview question of all time, as we always do. Bridget, tell us about yourself.
0: Yeah, um, I'm Bridget. I've been in my career now for five years which doesn't seem like a lot but it really is a long time in those five years I've been four different places which I think is kind of I I don't think of myself as a job hopper but when you look at it like that on paper maybe I yeah outside of work um in a normal year (laughs) I uh, uh really close to my family. Uh, My twin sister lives in Seattle, so I'm traveling a lot with her or to go see other places. I like to stay active and get outside. It's very hard in quarantine time right now, but just trying to find new things to to keep myself busy. As a human at work, and that's my whole thing is I just, I even hate saying I have to have a thing, Mm -hmm. but that's the world that we live in now. But um, I really kind of emphasize like bringing empathy back into marketing. I've always kind of been that way where I'm more so thinking about what, the, in more of like the customer profile than, than the actual marketing tactics or how we're going to um, kind of get at them or to them. It's more like, what do they need? And that's not always a, a very welcomed opinion, but I think it's becoming more and more welcomed now um, of different perspective at least, so.
1: I love that. And when it comes to, you know, being a human, right, which you're human marketing to humans, right? This, uh, I, I love how you said, I, I even hate saying that I need to have a thing. And it's interesting when, you know, as a former marketer myself, it's so interesting to be a marketer and like, almost be able to peek behind the curtain and see how mm-hmm. all the, all the levers are being pulled and, and how they control our behavior and how, you uh, you know, there's benefits to everything, but also drawbacks to everything. So when you say, you know, you 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 have that resistance around even having a thing or being called a thing, uh, can you give us a little more into that? Because I'm, I'm really curious about how that plays out as like your marketing mind wraps around it.
0: Yeah, I just, there's these things now on LinkedIn, especially in SaaS and software in general personal branding. And we have to all be out here kind of like pushing ourselves and our expertise and all these things. And I say we're pushing ourselves, but more people are just like bringing their work person and pushing what that person should be doing and less of like, I'm a full person and I'm going to bring that whole person to work. And then I'm going to bring that whole person to every online presence. I think that it becomes more it becomes easier for maybe the younger generations because we're so used to social media being all over our lives all the time. So when I looked at LinkedIn or, you know, even marketing Twitter, I'm like, okay, but I'm still going to be the same person. Um, And I, it it sums it up perfectly. Like can we stop calling it personal branding and just start calling it being a person? Cause I hate the, the stigma around, well she's just pushing those things for her personal brand or she's just you know, kind of like trying to get out there to get likes, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I, I don't see me in LinkedIn very often. Um, I there's a lot of founders with their tips. Obviously, that stuff resonates because they're successful, but I don't see somebody who said I failed today. Period. That's it. So that's what I started posting. It was like, I can't. I'm not an expert in marketing. Only five years into my career. I hope that I. Never say that I'm an expert in marketing or anything that's you know, continuous learning, but I can post about what I'm learning. I can post about what I'm working on. I can post about what I'm failing at because I think that so many people don't want to post about those things that it gives the rest of us imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't even like that word either. We're just throwing out all the words. Oh yeah,
1: Um, it's buzz city.
0: imposter, uh, Imposter syndrome is just you being like really hyper- aware of yourself. And maybe I shouldn't say that, or maybe I don't know that much about that thing. So why is my mouth open? I think imposter syndrome is just a way of checking yourself. And we kind of have to embrace that instead of be scared of it and put yourself out there. Also, there's no shame if you're not the kind of person that puts themselves out there. Clearly, I am here doing this. Um, But I think that there's There's so much shaming going on and it's a lot easier to see on places like Instagram because it's very visual. It happens on LinkedIn too. It's just words instead of pictures. Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely being a career coach on LinkedIn is like watching the positivity police running down the street every day and like, hiding in my little, (laughs) my little shanty, hoping they don't catch that I'm not the most positive person in the world. Um, it is really funny. Uh, I remember I had someone on the live stream recently and afterward I was like, Oh, I gotta be more bubbly. And I'm like, nah, I'm just kind (laughs) of, kind of can be me. Um, and I like this idea that you talked about of, um, you know, you've moved careers a lot, but you don't really think of yourself as a job hopper. And I think that's a really fascinating point. Um, I actually used to, I tried at one point to create a YouTube channel called Job Hopper TV. uh, And I saw so many people were so resistant to the phrase, even though I thought it was a fun phrase. Um, But what are your views around that? Like when it comes to changing jobs or being a job hopper, there's obviously differences. And the, the term sort of comes out of companies being like wary of certain types of people. But I don't know. I feel like in the world of remote work, COVID, entrepreneurship and everything else, Job hopping is really the only way to even move up and move up, move through a career at this point. But where you you know, where is your mindset around that, you know, movement when when we move, what's good and what's bad about it?
0: Yeah, um, maybe this is a good time to just go into a little bit of my background. Yeah, um, I started. I was one of those kids out of college that didn't have a job lined up. I actually did have an internship lined up, but the day before we were supposed to start, they emailed us and said they canceled their internship program.
1: Oh, geez. Um,
0: So that was awesome. Uh, But maybe a month after graduating, I was just at home and applying to like every place that I possibly could. I was looking for somewhere in the suburbs because I'm in Chicago, but I've always been in, in the suburbs of Chicago and um just somewhere in the suburbs which was weird for somebody my age because everybody was trying to go to the city um so it was already like I wanted something very specific I knew I wanted to go to some kind of agency I studied advertising in college um I actually started in engineering which is a whole other story but um worked at I found this agency it was just a small boutique agency maybe 30 people total um and they were building a PR and social team I was like that sounds cool. Like I can do that. Uh, and obviously as soon as you start and you're one of the youngest people in the company, they're like, cool, you get to figure out social media. for yeah. business. But it gave me a lot of experience, just the agency. I was there for three years. So that's why I say like, I don't think of myself as a job hopper because I stayed at my first job, which was an agency for three years and nobody first job is that's already like nobody stays for three years, but also agency is really hard to get people to stay. Um, I really liked the experience of working with a ton of clients because it basically doubled my experience. So in three years, I was actually getting four or five years of experience because I was working with B2C and B2B. And it was just a really good first job because I was able to kind of figure out maybe where I wanted to be or what I was good at while working. So I didn't even have to like do that outside of my job is like tinker with things and figure out what I, what I wanted to be or should have been doing. And I ended up leaving there and doing a freelance thing for nine months or a year. I was still on my parents' insurance. So it was like that nine months that I was like, "If I don't do this now. I don't know yeah. where I'm going to do it. I was just kind of, I knew that it was time to move on from the agency. Um, and I think that I knew that when like I was wanting to move to the city and I, it, they weren't as flexible as I wanted them to be. And I get it. They're a small agency with clients in the suburbs. Like, me commuting it back and forth, that just sucks. So, um, I, I was ready for a change. I was ready to go work in the city and live in the city. Um, so, I went freelance, found a client through a friend of a friend, and I ended up just working directly with them for 40 hours a week, which was the ideal in a freelance. Like, I didn't even have multiple clients, I just had this one client. Went to the office downtown once a week. So, I got like that little piece of like figuring out the CTA and like all of those things that I just had no idea. Um, And, you know, that birthday came around and I was like, oh, I need insurance. I need a job, like an actual job that I'm not sitting on my couch with my golden retriever or whatever, like eight hours a day. I started applying and I didn't really apply to a ton of places. This place actually offered me like the freelance place that I was the client Offered me a full time position, so I was like had that in the back of my head, and I was like, I just don't know if that's really what I want to be doing. And a lot of my friends were working in tech, so I was like, I'll just like check out this space. It's kind of big in Chicago, no big deal. Ended up getting an interview with G two somehow. Like took the test, passed that, uh, and went through the whole interview process. And I think it took like two weeks or three weeks, and I got a job at G two, and that was like the place to work in Chicago, and I didn't even really know it. Yeah, I was at G two for a year and a half, which is that feels like a lot longer at a company mm-hmm. that's scaled that fast a year and a half felt like three years because there's just so much happening and everything's moving so fast and the company is changing so fast.
1: That's awesome. And, and in each of these changes, right, you learn so much about yourself. I like how you identified, you know, Oh, I learned how to sort of work from home and, and really. You know, whenever we're doing something like that, we learn how to be disciplined by ourselves. But then you go into an office space and you get to learn that camaraderie and you get to see that piece. And I think one of the massive benefits of job hopping, especially early on in a career, is the ability to see so many different types of ways of doing things. I feel like a lot of times if you're just at one company for 10 years right out of college, you don't really know what else is out there and, and the different ways to have a career, let alone have a life even. And, you know, that's why people encourage you to like travel the world and all sorts of other stuff. But, you know, one of the cool things or one of the things I'm most curious about is as you were going through these different roles and learning how to be a marketer how did that sort of change your sense of identity? Did it change it? Because, you know, I really like this idea of being a human in the marketing world and, and really experiencing emp- or practicing empathy. And it's kind of hard, depending on where you end up in the marketing world, to be able to hold on to that sense of empathy and that sense of identity, because a lot of times you're so driven by metrics or you're so driven by uh, you know certain outside forces or, or just even the cynicism that can sometimes come with it. So I'm curious how, you know, being freelance or being full-time, how did, how did these roles help shape your identity? And, and when did you start really getting an eye for empathy?
0: Trying to think here when I started it. So identity is such an interesting thing because while I believe that maybe I bring my full self to work, my identity is not defined by my job which is really, it's a very nuanced difference, but it is different. I can be my full person with all of my characteristics and all of my attributes at work. But when I leave work, I'm not, you know, so obsessed about what's happening at work or what's happening on LinkedIn, or I'm really good about just like, this is not my job. I'm not going to be solely driven by this in my life. And I think that also that might be a generational, like my parents, both of them, um, my dad was a stockbroker for 30 years, same broker, like same everything. He worked for himself technically, but my mom has been at Ebbet for 30 years, and so they both have been at these companies, working in the same job, same role, like you said for 30 years. And it's, I just don't want that for my life. That seems, it, it seems more so that that's just like what they do. They go to work and they come home, and it's a different turn off. Like how my mom turns off of work is so different than how I turn off of work, but. I can see now she's still working because it, that is her identity now. And she's like, what would I do without this? And I think that, um, me, I'm like, I'm looking at my mom and I'm like, that's crazy. If I was you, I'd be traveling the world and going and doing all of these other things that I'd like to fill my time with. And I think that it definitely does get shaped over time because for so long, she was even a mom. It was a really big part of her identity when we were growing up. You know what I mean? And it still is now, but we can kind of take care of ourselves. So I think there was in that five years of my career, there was a lot of personal changes. That's such a growth stage from 22 to 27. You are a completely different person from 22 to 27. And I don't know that a lot of people will be like, okay, you know, I don't know about that. But I am I, I, you know, at 22, I, I've been in just so many different friendships have come in and out of my life, different relationships, different jobs. And it's, I choose to see that as me not moving job to job. It's me growing as a person. And then maybe what I want in my job is just not what the new person wants in a job. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: I think it definitely does. And there's this concept um, that I hear all the time or I've heard in the past where um, folks, are, folks talk about how hard it is to make friends as you get older. And especially after you get out of college, They're like, oh, once you're out of college, it's so hard to make friends. And I think part of that is like, well, how are you experiencing the world? Are you staying at one job? Are you moving around? Are you getting involved in organizations? Are you volunteering? What other things are you doing to bring people into your life? And and sometimes people are like, well, the only people that I really know are my coworkers and my spouse like that's my entire world and I don't really like my coworkers it's like oh my goodness right <laughs> and so you know you'll you'll find people in these positions and I think it's interesting to see that generational difference because I think there are massive differences in priorities and part of that mm-hmm. can just be age part of that could be generational maybe You know, as we get closer to our fifties and sixties, we'll have, we'll look back on this podcast and laugh at ourselves. Right. But there's definitely, um, differences in how, you know, if you want to be someone who stays at a company for 20 years, a layoff is an incredibly terrifying, detrimental thing. But if you're someone who's constantly moving or looking for new opportunities, or let's just say building a life that is more resilient um, there's a great book called Anti-Fragile, like how do you build a life that is anti-fragile where one thing breaking doesn't make the whole house of cars fall down. And and that's really, in my mind, the biggest difference between a lifer and a job hopper, right? A job hopper is less fragile than a lifer in a lot of ways, whereas a, a lifer might be more financially stable or have more savings or something than a, than a hopper. But what are your views on that? generational difference and maybe like the impact of a layoff on someone who is younger and earlier and more adept to change and someone who's later on in their career?
0: I think it's super interesting because if I thought about this, so I was, um, if I was laid off a year before I was, and I, maybe two years, like if I was at a different company and I, I don't know that I would have been able to handle it as well as I did well in air quotes, Um, but now I just feel like I have by this age or in this life stage, whatever you want to call it, I feel a little bit more grounded in who I am as a person. And I think that that makes all of the difference for when you get laid off. And I don't know that that's even tied to an age or tied to a, like, I don't know. For me, it was just, I finally feel like I know decently who I am. Um, and maybe that happens at 40 for some, or maybe earlier for some people, I have no idea. I just know how it was for me. I think it would absolutely be harder to be laid off from somewhere that you spent a significant amount of your time, because I think the more and more that you spent, it was really hard for me to leave my first job because I spent three years of my life there and it was all that I knew in my career. Same. So, and you do get more attached, obviously. And as you spend more time there and I think you get a little bit more jaded if they let you go and you're like, why I gave you so much of my time and I invested so much. I come here every day, day in and day out. And you're like, not seeing that value. Um,
1: I love, I love that you called that out really quick. I gave you so much of my time. I think that mm -hmm. that is a very interesting phrase that we use when things change, uh, whether it's a job or a relationship or whatever the thing might be. It's like, uh, you'll see the cliche in a movie. I gave you the best years of my life, right? And it's such an interesting perspective because it it forgets the fact that you're getting a ton of stuff from those years and yeah. learning, or at least should be learning, something about yourself during that time. And you know, if you leave a relationship after five years and you're not a different person there was definitely not enough growth happening in that relationship. Right. And I think that there's some really interesting, um, maybe psychology to dig into with that sort of this company owes me something. Mm -hmm. And I think your mindset is, is quite different than maybe some of these other ones, uh, some of these more long-term mindsets where it almost feels like, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. So let me know what your thoughts are, but like, you know, no companies owe you anything. You're going to be just fine figuring out your own thing. What What are your views on that?
0: I think that that has come with a, a few experiences just with companies, but I've, I've always been a firm believer in, in what you give is what you get out. So if I'm going to be when, and, and it doesn't matter how long I'm somewhere for, I'm going to give a hundred percent so that I can get out a hundred percent because I know that, if I'm putting into them, the right company will want to put into me as well. I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like um, I'm I'm a little jaded, especially in in the tech world. We're not, okay. There's so many things we're not saving the world. Most of us in SaaS mm-hmm. are not saving the world. I'm not that important. I'm just in the grand scheme of the like corporate culture and the of my life, like in my life I'm important, but in the world. So I just kind of see it like that. And the, the reality of it is, is if you decide to leave a company, they're gonna put your job up on the, on the job site the next week. So if I can come to grips with that as okay, that is something that I need to understand and I can't expect them to owe me anything. If I'm not giving them my hundred percent as well.
1: That's such a great insight of, you know, when we're going through these experiences and, and I agree with you, like the, the it's been nice being in early tech startups and just seeing how crazy they are and seeing how unstable they are and seeing how ambitious they are in their way of talking. And one of the things that what you're saying really brings up for me is the idea of, a lot of these companies talk about themselves and their employees and their staffs as though we're families and i've and it's i'm curious cuz you say bring your whole self to work right and i think a lot of people well there's so many things i want to dig into on these points but um one thing in particular is this idea of like Bring your whole self to work because we're a family, but then you go to your review and they hold something against you potentially. And I think there's a lot of fear in folks of that happening, but let's just take five steps back. What are your thoughts? What goes through your head when a company says we're a family?
0: I, my friends, my family, my, everybody in my life would say that I am I'm like a hug. Like I am so welcoming and open and that's because that's how I like to be. I like to make my people smile. I like to be helpful. And I just, I'm very outgoing, but I'm also like, how can I help you? What can I be doing for you? And and, and it also leads me to like not do anything for myself, which is a whole other thing, Yeah. but I am w- much more willing to like help other people. So when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, oh, that's nice, but I'm weary of it. I don't, because I, I see that as if I go all in, there's still a potential that this could come back to, to bite me. I understand the family aspect and I'm here for it. I really am. But are you really a family or you know, the best part about me bringing my whole self to work? is i I'm a bit of a skeptic. My whole self is, so I get to be skeptical by still bringing my whole self to work.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: And that's um, the thing,
1: right? It's like, you know, you might run to a family member, after a breakup, but you're not going to necessarily run to your boss Uh, or you might, you know, some people might, but, but yeah, I I
0: think it, it makes it really hard when your boss is the same age as you, or, you know, some of these smaller tech companies, everybody, like everybody on my team at G2, we were all pretty much within three or four years of each other. Oh, wow. So it becomes like really dangerous of, of like, how close are we going to get to each other? Like, it's great that I have really good friends at work, but this could be really scary Mm -hmm. if it, if, if something goes wrong, if something goes wrong to any of these 30 people on my team, you know, because we were a quote unquote, like we were a family and I, I'm still, I still talk to almost everybody that I worked with there because it's still good friends. And, and I, I do believe that you can have some really, like some of my best friends now are people that I've worked with in the past. So.
1: Absolutely. And to go deeper into this idea of bringing your full self at work to work, I, I'd love to get a little bit more uh, of the nuance on that. Right. And I think the the joke that comedians would tell is like, be yourself. But what if I'm an asshole? <laughs> you know? Like, and it's like, maybe, maybe don't bring your full self to work uh if yeah. it's too extra right but what what is the nuance there like when when you say bring your full self to work obviously some people are like well janet brings her full self to work and we could all use a little less you know or something like that um what are your views on the nuances of that statement
0: well i think it it becomes a place like can is work a safe place like that's the first thing is your company, the people that you work with, do those? does it feel like a safe space for you? Because if it's not, then don't bring your full self to work. Um, bring as much as you like can muster and then take the rest back for yourself after yeah. work to figure that all out. But I, I know, okay, so I know that as a person, I'm mostly very wound up and anxious and I need to be moving and doing things. And I tend to stress out super easy. So like when I say, bring your full self to work. I'm like bringing that whole person too. I'm like, cool. So I need to work on six things at one time to feel like I'm doing anything productive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have good friends that really separate their life and their work. But for me and my mental health, I know that I have to be Bridget everywhere, like one Bridget everywhere. And maybe like Bridget drinks more, not at work, obviously, you know, but and I, I think that what I'm getting at is I want to fit the job into my life. I don't want to fit my life into the job.
1: I think that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. And and, and I think when we say bring your, your full self to work, it really is like create an environment where you're not scared. Yeah. At the yeah. end of the day. And, right.
0: And a lot of that for me is I need a workplace that's flexible to even feel like I could bring my, or everybody to bring their full selves to work. Because if everybody in my company brings them their full selves to work, that means there's babysitters that didn't get called. There's like all these things that happen, but I would rather have all of the cards on the table and then just like figure it out from there than have to like play in the dark sometimes of just like, and I think that that insight of bringing my full self, you asked like when I started to really think about empathy and it actually started with, I was a people manager at G2 at the end and I just had no understanding of like how hard that job is to like be worried about my work, to be worried about their work, also their feelings and be empathetic for their situations and all of those things like you have, it's so much easier for me as a manager And for our relationship as like a partnership, if you're telling me the full story, like you don't have to tell me that something crazy is happening in your life, but just say that specifically, like I have to go handle this. And I would Mm -hmm. rather you say that than just like dip out on Slack for four hours and then come back and you're stressed out, but I can't figure out why. And I'm not telling you, you have to tell me all your secrets, but level with me as a human and just like trust. I think that a lot of it comes down to, trusting me to like have your best interest in mind. And that's the piece that's really scary for people to bring their full, full selves to work, because people don't think companies or managers have their best interest in mind. And that's kind of sad. Well,
1: and especially when sometimes that proves true. And I think that one of the interesting things about this podcast is like hearing, we have an episode that hasn't come out yet. And you know the person was talking pretty deeply about the really toxic situation that slowly grew at their company over a long period of time. And I think when we're talking about whether it's your identity or bringing your full self to work or all these different things, um, there's always a, there's always like context to everything and your full self might change because you're being authentic to yourself might be protecting yourself from toxic situations and not, Mm -hmm saying everything, but avoiding conversations just because you're anxious or scared and there's not actually anything that's really causing an issue except your own rumination. I know I've been in that situation where I'm like, you know, if I just sent that email two days ago, I wouldn't have this situation that I'm in right now. Um, I do think that that's a really interesting thing to keep in mind. And and you know, there's a time and a place for everything, and everything has context. So I, I think it's really good that we're sort of talking about that empathy piece and and being able to to understand that being honest with people or leveling with people, as you said, actually makes everyone work better because yeah. we think early in our career that the deadline's the most important thing. And the deadline is very often not the most important thing. The most important thing is, the communication around whether or not this deadline's going to work. And that's quite a big shift for some folks as they move up in their career.
0: Yeah, I think that no matter what the deadline is, that's still like short-sighted. Like it's a short-term thing versus like the long-term relationship that you're building with your employee. Wouldn't you rather know that your employee took another job somewhere and is going to, like, don't you want them to trust you that much? And the other, the flip side of it is, When it does get bad, and it often does, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it really does suck sometimes to just like be so far in the weeds and everything is short-sighted and you react in ways. And that's the downside to me bringing my full self to work is it sometimes just takes over. Like all my entire person who like for weeks at a time, I, you know, can't do anything except for like, think about this drama thing that happened at at work. And I think the biggest piece that I learned from the layoff and, and having that sense of relief afterwards of like, none of these things are my problem anymore, um, really leads me to I can bring my full self to work and be invested, but I also can draw boundaries. Those aren't like mutually exclusive things.
1: I'd love to dig into that story now. Um, so let's take you back in time to the lead up to the layoff, what sort of things were you working on at that time? And um, was it something that you saw coming or was it something that came out of the blue?
0: I, so at that time we had just kicked off my second, my first full year there. So we were at the next year's kickoff. I think I was at G2 for a total of a year and a half. Um, I was laid off in June and around April, I like, so everybody was going through COVID layoffs. We had G2 had just did one in November, um, before COVID or all of those, we just had a layoff, um, in November. So it was already kind of shaky. Like it was just such like a shock. We, we had no idea that that was going to happen. Um, and of course they're just like reassuring us as, as they should. I mean, they didn't know that it was going to happen again. At least that's how I choose to look at it for my sanity.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and they, you know, in February and March, they kind of gave us or March and April, they were giving us these, like, we got the PPP loan. Like we were not laying anybody off. Like we're just trying to figure out where to go from here. I think maybe around April, there was talks of hiring just another team, like a supplemental team to ours, and we were already one of the biggest teams in content marketing, kind of across the country. And it was just kind of like, okay, that's a little weird. And of course, the people that I was managing, you know, I didn't have any information, um, but the people I was managing were asking me questions like, "How do you know what is this? What are we doing?" Like, as a middle manager, I didn't have the answers. I was asking the same questions because I'm seeing the same slides that they are in these meetings. Um, so that was really the hardest part for me out of all of it was leading with no context at all. I had, and that's how these things go. I'm not saying that's yeah, a, that's a problem with this one company. It's just, they can't say anything to anybody. So that was pretty hard. And I, I just like kind of got an inkling, but it wasn't nothing. Like I wasn't looking for jobs or anything like that at that point. Um, and June, yeah, at the end of June and we were all remote. So they just kind of like jumped on zooms and that was super weird too. Like to just maybe easier because I didn't have to like figure out how to like get out of a building while I was like blacked out, like couldn't understand what was happening. But I maybe thought some people were getting let go, but I honestly didn't think it was going to be me. And like, that's on me, but who knows? How do you know? You look at the list of people that got laid off and it, it just kind of, it makes sense obviously in some spreadsheet somewhere, but not for the people that were like boots on the ground. It just didn't make much sense. So so, how did um,
1: how did it get communicated to you? I always find that to be an interesting thing because you just mentioned, like the companies are trying. Like I think all the things we're talking about, bring your full self to work, you know, explore your education and your identity, try and try and build good relationships, treat people like family. These are all altruistic things that companies are trying to do because they don't want to tarnish their reputation. They don't want to piss off all their you know, former employees. Um, and there's lots of situations where
0: they don't want to let people go. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, they don't want to do that either.
1: Right. They want to grow. They don't want to shrink. And, and I think that the problem is, is that there's so much fear, right? There's so much fear that arises. And when you have to lay people off, if anyone's ever been on that side, it's not fun. And then there's a lot of legal considerations and that they have to like manage people. Are like, I can't believe they did it in a group. It's like, well, legally maybe they had to for X number of risk factors. And so there's so many things that we have to have empathy for, On um, you know, for the companies that, that had to, <laughs> that went through this and put us through this at the same time. So I think that that's really fascinating that you, you kind of, called that out a little bit but walk us through like the the day of so you you go into work that day or you're remote that day right what was that experience like when did that tap on the shoulder happen
0: yeah um my slack kind of i just got a slack from the vp and it was like hey can you just jump on a zoom for i was like yeah that's fine like this the vp is calling me and i'm in my sweatpants but like that's cool um and I show up, like I just pop into the zoom and somebody from HR is there, he's there and uh, the CMO is there. Um, So I was like, okay, this is interesting. And you know, they just started like, unfortunately, like it just started right away. There was no like, Hey Bridget, how are you doing today? It was just, you know, unfortunately we're, you know, we are not able to keep all of our team together and um, you're on the list and it's unfortunate, but was just like wondering if you have any questions, like there was no, and I think that the hard part is, is like you just said, I think like they didn't even ask me like, or tell Mm -hmm. me like what's really going on, but they probably can't. Um, Not something that I knew at the time, but like now that I think back on it, I'm like, they can't tell me anything like that. Like, because I have no idea who else is on this list or who else am I gonna go tell after this or whatever. But as it was happening, I was getting texts from other people. So of course I'm like, okay, something is happening. But, uh, the HR like walked us through like the stipulations and all those things. And I asked, you know, they were like, you know, do you have any questions? And I just said, like, I don't have any questions, but I kind of have like a little bit to say, um, it's just not, just not awesome. Like this is not ideal. Obviously I, you know, when I was asking questions about it back, you know, a couple months ago, you guys made me feel like I was crazy. And now you know, I can kind of say like, oh, you're, you weren't crazy for those two months. Um, You did, your gut was right. Like, and it sucks, but um, you know, they didn't really tell me much again. It was just kind of like, okay. And then when my, whatever you, whatever you want to call it was not very well-received. I was just kind of like, okay, Sierra, like if you could walk through the HR stuff. So we can just like, you just, you guys aren't listening to me. So I just kind of just don't want to be here anymore. Um, In the nicest way possible. But I was like, it doesn't really matter at this point. So that happened and immediately my Slack was just like deactivated. So I didn't have access. Oh my gosh. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably and that, that was normal. Um, That's what happened the last playoff too. So I just, of course, was getting like text messages from everyone and my team specifically. I just text. I was like, "Hey, I just, well, just to let you know, like, I just got laid off." And one of the guys that I was managing was right before me, so he got he got laid off before me. So he was texting me the whole time while I was in my Zoom meeting. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't
1: know. Wow, I really weird. appreciate you sharing weird. that. Weird to all
0: be separate like in a remote place where everybody's just in their home, which is actually probably a good thing. You don't have to figure out where you're doing, what you're going to do for the rest of the day, like whatever. I like went to a coffee shop down the street and went and got a bagel and sat out by Lake Michigan for two hours after. I was like, I don't have to work today. Um,
1: <laughs> that post layoff moment is always so fascinating of like, what do you do next? I, I almost want to analyze like that <laughs> in every single episode. Cause like, yeah. It really does kind of show like you, you sort of go to your like happy place, your like safe place. Apparently, bagels are your safe place.
0: Bagels and the skyline are my and my dog. It was good. It it just took a moment for myself. Like I was, my phone was already at that point like so far beyond me even being able to go through it. I just like texted the two people that I was responsible for, and everybody else could wait. I was like, yeah. I'm just gonna go take care of myself this is what I feel like I need to do right now. It's like a mile walk to the lake. I was like, I'm just going to go collect myself and my thoughts. And I think that was the relief piece. Again, it was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. This is scary, but also maybe the best thing for me right now to not have to have all this stress of not saving the world on my shoulders.
1: That piece that you mentioned of the stress, right? I think, You mentioned that it confirmed that you weren't crazy. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating leading up to a layoff is the fact that you kind of know, even if you don't really know, you kind of know something's up. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it's almost like being in a bad relationship, right? You kind of know something is not right. Somebody's
0: not here 100%.
1: And you're waiting Um, for the shoe to drop
0: those as well. So maybe I was, (laughs) but, um, I think that honestly, the first round really helped me like have a signal for that. And I think that's why I was just never comfortable again, like really comfortable again to just like, kind of let go because I, at that point, I thought that this place was like, you know, couldn't do, could do no wrong. And then they do that. I was like, oh, like open my eyes right up to be like, "Mm, okay, you need to like, take a step back here and like, see this for what they're, I have this thing where I, (laughs) my therapist will say, she's like, you give expectations all the way up here because that's what you give. And like your expect, you expect everybody to be you. Mm. And that's just not the case. So I had to level set my, I had to like check my expectations because sometimes it always just leads to disappointment. I'd rather like have expectations, but have them not be like, this company is going to save my life. That doesn't know. How about you might save the company, your life might save the company. Like think about it backwards.
1: I love that. I think that low expectations in life is one of the real secrets to being in a good spot.
0: Low expectations let you like this coffee is the best thing I've ever had today or this week. (laughs) Like I really do. And I think, again, that's something that has come from my personal life that I've been able to like transition into my professional life is the littlest things can make you happy or like if you complete that one task on your list, like that's great. And the little things like really do keep me going. Like that's why I like things like cooking or whatever is because it's just a place to like turn your brain off and kind of just enjoy that moment. And I think that the more that you can bring that into your work and actually enjoy the little things. And for me, that piece of it was managing people. I loved, loved managing people. So I got a lot of joy out of that, of like helping them and those little things that I could do for them, like went a long way for them, but also for me. So um, yeah, just really interesting how your personal and professional, again, like that's why I'm like, okay maybe more of me can come to work with me. Right.
1: yeah, I almost feel like I went the other way. I feel like early career disappointments led me to finally relax in my personal life. It's it's like <laughs> it's it is interesting. It's like, "Oh, wait a second. Lower my career expectations a little bit. And hey, life is actually a lot chiller, too." Um, yeah. when you <laughs> mention the uh, your interest in being a manager, I'd love to dig into that now and, and also get into what you're up to these days. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you're embarking on a path in your career that is really fascinating. And if you're really interested in management, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to be laying someone off at some point in your career, right? Mm-hmm. And so now that you've gone through that experience, I always like to find those little silver linings. And one is, you know, as as I was getting laid off of my last job, I was like, Well, I'm a career coach, so this is great. I'm going to get to use this as a storytelling mechanism someday. And uh, here we are with a podcast years later. But um, it's just so funny how like, you know, if we don't go through a layoff, if you're just a manager who got a job, stayed at the company for 30 years, and then you have to go lay people off and you've never been in that situation yourself, I feel like it's a real detriment for the person that you're laying off at the time in the future. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like a real blessing to give you training like we can look at a layoff as career training to know what it's like to be on that side of things so that when we're on the other side of it years down the road we can be better and i'm really curious as you're like getting into this world of man of of going down the path of becoming like you know the best manager you can be what are some of the things that you're realizing are really important you're mentioning those little things but what little things maybe would have made the layoff a little bit better? Um, You know, if you were to fast forward 10 years to a point in time where you're the one on the other side of the screen,
0: there's a lot more groundwork I would have done beforehand and not even like once I knew that a layoff was happening, I just hope to have a really good relationship with the people that I'm managing, not overbearing one where I'm like, okay, tell me everything about your life, but I hope that they trust me at the end of the day. I don't know if that's something that I could have said about my manager and that's upsetting. So it's like, that already is something that can be fixed that um, it, it, it would have, in a weird way, it would have been easier to be laid off by somebody that I trust, which is so weird. But, and, and actually one of my best friends there was, she was leading the whole layoff, but she was in HR leading the whole layoff project. So she couldn't even tell me. So like, we're still friends. Yeah. I, I'm like, hey, man, you couldn't tell me. I understand that. Like, it's cool. I'm good. Like, I'm really good. She's like, the only reason I couldn't, like, didn't tell you, like, is because I knew that you would be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's because I trust her, and she knows the kind of person that I am. Um, so that's the first thing. Is I just hope that, you know, maybe I can build a relationship where, like, and again, that still sucks, but it is what it is. Um, the other thing is. what happens post layoff really does matter. The people that reach out really do matter. And I know that as a manager, we're supposed to take the side of the company. That doesn't mean that you can't speak friend to friend. Like you guys worked together for a year and a half. It's really, really surprising sometimes, like who does and who doesn't reach out. And that's more on them than it is on, on me. And I think that I was the oldest one on my team or the most experienced, I won't even say oldest, I'll say most experienced one on my team that was laid off, like the most senior. Um, So everybody was like, what do we do? And I'm like, well, you take a day, tell whoever you want, don't tell whoever you want. Like you just have to come to grips with it yourself in a day or two so that you don't have to like carry it on for a week. It's, It's super interesting because the first thing that I felt was shame, of course, I was like so embarrassed, I'm like, how does this happen? I'm success. I'm killing it at my job. I don't understand how I could be laid off, but circumstances beyond anybody's control on my whole team just got laid off. It was just easier to cut the whole team right. and to keep the other half of the team. I get it. Um, and it's hard to not feel valued by a company, just as a person, you want to feel valued. And I've said this before, but I think that it's not that it's a shift of your values are different now than the company's values and maybe that happened over the year and a half that you were there that your values somewhere became misaligned but if they're laying you off that company is no longer good for you either so you kind of have to like take that back on yourself and be like okay maybe this is going to be the best thing and now i get the opportunity to go find you know what i want to do next and and where i want to be and that's exactly what i did i was laid off at the end of june the very last day they technically made our last day the next month so we would have um insurance for the month which was That's nice awesome. so they gave us insurance for a month which was great but that week was that weekend was fourth of july so i'm like what the heck am i gonna do that whole week and like there's not so i took my time i like went and saw my family my mom freaked out it was awesome um and she was actually bringing so much more anxiety to me i'm like, I'm like mom I'm fine. I have I can I can be unemployed for a year if I want to. I don't want to because I will literally go insane. But it's okay. And don't you think that like not that I want to but the first people I'm going to ask for money is you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry but you guys are going to if if I need help like I'm coming to you and thank you for being even like a thought that I can do that but chill out you're making me more anxious like don't tell me that I'm supposed to be more anxious like it's really not helping um
1: so interesting yeah it's like when someone tells you to calm down that doesn't help but when someone (laughs) makes you more anxious that really really
0: doesn't help like well Bridget what have you been doing I'm like mom it's been three days and it's it's literally fourth of July weekend I'm drinking on the (laughs) boat right now like I would be if I had like it's fine are you not um, networking that,
1: on the 4th of July for a new job? Um, that's I no one's going to meet with me.
0: But my, the on the Monday after, and it was interesting because there are a few people that made a LinkedIn post like right away. There are a few people that waited to like collect themselves, so, like whatever you need to do either way is totally fine. It's just mm-hmm. wh- whenever you feel like you're ready to do it. I waited the weekend and I posted um, and I already had a decent like following it just from G2 and just like starting to post on there as myself and just like the things that like we talked about earlier, but, and the amount of people not like that liked it was insane because it just like kind of went everywhere. And to people, I was making connections with people that I had never talked to before because of it goes into their networks, obviously, you know how it works, but I wasn't even shocked. Like my comment section was all people that had worked with me or networked with me in the past, just saying like, you have to hire this person or like I've worked with Bridget on X, Y, and Z. It wasn't people like, here's a job. It was like people advocating for me, which was huge. And that was so validating for me. And I won't, I won't say it wasn't like, it really was like, oh, I actually do know what I'm doing. I'm good at my job. I'm good at this. I'm good at connecting with people and talking to people. Like this is, I'm gonna be fine. So, you know, as much as I'm saying it out to everybody else, like, it's going to be okay. Like I'm still internally feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Or especially because I was looking for a job in management and that's hard to find Let COVID aside, not meeting anybody aside, like in person. Um, but in those three weeks after that post, I had like 40 interviews or something. And I was wow. doing four, four or five interviews a day at some point where I honestly couldn't even keep it straight, but I was just myself. And I think that was the other piece was like having that many, you can't possibly really
1: can't pretend uh, that many times you
0: can't prepare for that many. I'm like, I don't, okay. I remember what this company does or what this person does, but I really took that interview process to just like be myself. I'm in my home. Like, this is what they saw during my interview process. Um, My dog is like interrupting halfway through. And it was just like, but that piece I think is really what helped me get a job was just, these are all the things that I've done. Here's my resume, here's my portfolio, like all of those things. But this is who I am as a person. I want to meet as many people as I can at your company before I make a decision. It was really, and I had made a lot of connections through that, that people were like, I don't even have a job for you. I just want to like get on the phone with you to talk to you. And most people that were looking for a job would say, okay, I'm not going to waste my time with that. But I did. I got up. That was like a breather for me because I'm not like auditioning for anything. Um, but I still have those connections, and maybe I'll be working for them someday because I took the time with them when I was, you know, most stressed out or honestly, like most, like, available. <laughs> so it's it's super interesting the way that it worked out. But yeah, I've, I've now been a big time. I got it. I started there within three weeks of being laid off. So that's
1: incredible. I think that's the fastest turnaround. Maybe one week was the fast, but I think that might be the, the first or second fastest turnaround we've had on the podcast so far.
0: It, it was, it was too fast for me to be honest. I took maybe a couple days off. I went and uh, rented a cabin in like a tree house in Tennessee for me and my nice. dog. And we just three <laughs> days. So that was fun. But I just, I knew that again, it was like an insurance thing. Why is that like run my life? That's so funny. I never thought about it like that. Right. But- health insurance. If I started that Monday versus the following Monday, I would get it a month earlier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess we know your priorities, right? Are you, you know like uh, doing some crazy? Ending yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good time to have, have healthcare. Let's be real. Um, well, I, I think that's amazing. And congrats on the role that you landed. You know, if there was, I the thing that you said, there of making time for people that you don't know if they can help you. Right. And I think that's something that most seekers overlook because they're anxious, afraid, whatever. They're worried about their first impressions. But like the fact that in between 40 interviews over a three week period, you were able to make room for people that weren't even job prospects. I think it's going like that's the kind of mentality that takes that allows you to have a three week job search versus three months, six months, one year plus, like, I have people who've been searching for six plus months, and they still refuse to send an email to network with someone. And I'm like, we've got like, this is going to ruin your career for decades. This is make this is costing you tens of thousands, hundreds of 1000s, probably over a lifetime. It's incredible.
0: It really helps that I'm in the industry that I'm in, because it's so normal to be mm-hmm. talking to other content creators, other marketers, other demand gen, like, it's so normalized in SaaS now, especially in marketing and sales. to so just like take time to talk to other people. My argument to people thought I was nuts for taking those those calls with other people. And I'm like, you have no idea who that person knows right. that could need somebody that needs a job. But also like, <clears throat> it was nice to have a break from thinking, how can this person help me? And, and, and for me to be like, how can I help this person? Because obviously if they wanna be on the phone with me, and some of them were like, I don't have a full-time job, but I can offer you contract work. And right. that was something that I was like, okay, I can put on the back burner if I do end up needing something in the stopgap. gap. But I had a month, I gave myself a month to kind of like find a job and figure it out. And I honestly didn't think that I was going to do that. I thought I was going to have to take some freelance work, but, and I think if that would have happened, I would have done maybe six months of that. Like I wouldn't have made that like, a two week thing, I would have just stuck with that for maybe a minute. And so that I could really be picky. Um, but I think too, too often we are so hung up on being interviewed that we don't think about like interviewing back. And I think that that is why I was able to stay sane with all of the interviews and whatever is because I was like, Really digging into like, what is your culture? Like, how is your marketing and sales alignment? Because I knew that that's something that I wanted to work on, you know, different things like that, where I really got to like dig in and say like, how I know what I can bring to this company, but what is the company giving back to me?
1: Yeah, and that's such a great place to get to and you know, you have a clear point of view, you have a clear sense of value, you understand what you bring to the company, so you're not even scared about that conversation. You're like, clearly I'm going to bring an ROI here, so let's have a real yeah. conversation. It's not it's you're not looking for a handout. You're not looking for them to improve your situation. You're yeah. literally there to help them, which allows you to have the tougher conversations about culture and stuff like that versus exactly. someone who's like how can, uh, what, what are the mentors like here? And it's like, wait, you haven't even communicated your value yet. Don't ask about, don't ask about mentors. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, if folks want to follow along and see some of these human, you know, human marketing posts that you're putting up, where, where are the best places to get in touch with you and see what you're doing?
0: Yes, I, um, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously just Bridget Putker. My name is the backslash and then Twitter as well. I will say Twitter is way more fun. Um, (laughs) I'm way more myself on Twitter, but starting to leak over into LinkedIn, we'll see how that strategy goes. Um, also I started a podcast kind of about career development, but more so for like people my age that don't really know what they're doing. Um, it's called self-control and cheese also on Twitter and just SelfControlAndCheese.com
1: And And we'll link to all these things in the description and put them up on the screen so everyone keep an eye out and go check them out. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today. This is absolutely wonderful.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash martin mcgovern and shoot me a dm let me know what's going on and i really like to share your story with the world what we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it we all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.